Hello and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Lloyd to have you with me on this special holiday week. Thanksgiving right around the corner. There's no days off in the sports world. No, no, no. Lots of sports to discuss. And so we're going to do just that with some of my favorite guests on the show. Matt Wittenberg and Brandon Marcus leading us off with a college football roundtable. The final week of the regular season. It's rivalry week. Ohio State, Michigan, Auburn, Alabama. Lots of big games on the slate with huge playoff implications. We break all that down, talk about Baker Mayfield probably winning the Heisman, Jim Morick getting fired at the coaching carousel, just revving up. And then I'm going to talk to Joe Crisali about the NHL season, how it's been kind of topsy-turvy, a lot of unpredictable teams at the top of each conference, but will it even out? We think so in some cases. We'll talk about that in some NFL talk at the end as we get ready for a slate of Thanksgiving games. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Glad you're with me. It's a short week. You know it. Let's get through it. Let's start the show. All right. College football roundtable on the Money Mitch Effect. Makeshift roundtable. Two regulars back to talk about the final week of the regular season. Matt Wittenberg, Brandon Marcus. Guys, Thanks for coming by on this Monday evening. Hey, thanks for having us. Great Looking to be here. To yeah, it's an actual roundtable, by the way. That's yeah. I, I I'm committed to the gimmicks. Yes. and the segments. So we are we are a very serious show here. But guys, <laughs> we're already at the end of the college football season. Just flew by. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Mm. But last weekend, in, in true tune-up fashion, as we get ready for this last week, the rivalry weekend. Not a lot of great games last week. Schedules just didn't line up. There was a lot of uh, massive favorites and a few that actually covered those ridiculous spreads. But there was some drama that we're going to start off talking with first. UCLA is looking for a new coach already. Jim Mora out after six years at UCLA, fired on his birthday, but still getting an eight-figure buyout with that. So not the worst birthday in the world. And Brandon, I'll start with you for this. Shocking that the move was made at all, and at this time that they fired him right after the USC game with one game left to play. Did you actually think they'd pull the trigger and get rid of more? No, I didn't think they'd actually do it. Everyone that is a US, UCLA alum was saying that it needed to be done, but they didn't think that UCLA would actually do it because of that buyout. I mean, when you owe somebody that much money, I mean, if someone, say, for example, say, like, hey, you owe me X, but you know what? I'll probably just hang around for a little Flip bit. Like, it, yeah, yeah, it's like just, just it's, it's surprising. I'm, I love it though. I, I love that UCLA is actually doing something to improve their football program because there's only so long you can sit there in mediocrity and not contend in Los Angeles because you have all the football teams here and USC obviously is not mm-hmm. getting any worse. Two years with one of the, if not the best pro QB prospect or they're bowl ineligible. That's like criminal. Yeah. Like that should not even... They wasted Rosen. I mean, that, it, there's no excuse for that. And is that just pedestrian feel of we'll just yeah. do enough to just stay average or mediocre and they couldn't even get to there this year. But when I look at UCLA and that program and give or take a couple other job openings that we might see, it's going to be a pretty high profile job. Do you think they made that move now? to get a jump start on the coaching candidates out there? Oh, there's no doubt about it. If they were going to let it ride out any longer, they potentially miss out on, I mean, Chip Kelly's name is floating around out there. Chances are he's a strong candidate unless he ends up at Florida, which is a strong rumor out there right now. But yeah, it's, I mean, it is a great job, but you have to know that you're always going to be the second football team in LA. And that's a little bit of a tough sell. Granted, there are 
so many recruits in the LA area alone to go around that you're still going to end up with some talented classes. But it's a tough sell to bring in a coach and be like, yeah, by the way, SC down the road, they're they're number one here. But I mean, if you find the right guy who's motivated to take that on and take ownership of it, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Rick Neuheisel, for all the crap he gets, he was not a great coach, but he was committed to trying to turn he the was. ship around. He got that... Uh, the mono, the monopoly in LA ends now. Billboard going. So yeah, you know what's funny about that though, and Chip Kelly is a good example. But you have different job openings, and maybe with UCLA you see opportunity. They're the second fiddle, but the pressure isn't going to be as turned on True. right away. Chip Kelly has Ford or UCLA. It's rumored to be deciding between. If he goes to Florida, they want him to win right away. Yeah, I mean that's what happens. You go to the SEC, and if you don't win. Then you're gone. I mean, Florida and even Tennessee. I mean, Butch Jones obviously had a thousand lives over there, but nonetheless, it's when you're in UCLA and you're not supposed to win, that's the job you want to have. Because then if you do win, you exceed expectations. And that's exactly what Mora did his first couple of years. Right. Because there were UCLA alumni that were going and saying, hey, USC, UCLA, they're at the same level now because you obviously had everything going on with Kiffin, everything going on with Sark. And so UCLA was right there. But then the last couple of years, obviously, Helton takes over and puts this team back into the Pac-12 championship where they belong. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting decision. Now, whether you would want to go into the SEC or the Pac-12 and UCLA, if it's Chip Kelly, if it's not him, there's a lot of rumored names out there. And I think part of that is the carousel because the name I keep hearing is out at AM. Someone yeah. might be a guy that UCLA takes a long, hard He's look at. Every job, though. Everyone says that someone's a candidate and he never ends up leaving. It's I no, think he's no gone this year, though. I mean, there's just yeah. been too much around him from start to finish. Uh, if he would have lost with the Arkansas game, I think was the one that went down to the wire. When, yeah, he's you got know, LSU this week, too. So that one's going to be tough. But. Just circling back to the SEC expectations, McIlwain at Florida made two SEC championship mm-hmm. games, and he's out of a job in four, after four years of being there. So, yeah, it's two two completely different worlds, and it's just, yeah, a matter of what kind of coach you're looking for and if they're up to that task. So Chip Kelly, I, a lot of rumors out there that he didn't like dealing with, like, big-time boosters or anything while he was in college at Oregon yeah. with, uh, obviously, Uncle Phil up there mm-hmm. breathing down his neck. So maybe UCLA... And that more lax approach is more appealing to him. Obviously, he knows the West Coast and is recruited out here. But it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for well, sure. If that's true, I mean, UCLA is not a Nike school, so you can just have a clean break. That's right. Got with, that Under Armour money now. I'm fascinated. There's going to be a lot of movement, not just the guy, not just the jobs that are open already. There's going to be a lot more after this final week uh, wraps up. But let's turn our attention to that final week and. A quick look at the rankings, guys, and we were doing this on Monday night. The college football playoff isn't out, but regardless of what the the ranking is at this week, there's still, by my count, I'd say seven teams that could potentially play in this game. I'm drawing the line at that Ohio State-Notre Dame two-loss team there. But we're looking at... Don't be so sure. It would take... Look, I know... It, nothing Someone would that's make from me that state, you should know all about that. that. There's a very big opportunity for Ohio State to sneak in there. As much as I'd like to pay tribute to Will Ferrell and old school, I don't think that's going <laughs> to happen this year. Uh, just being realistic about that line with Georgia being the seven team, if they still win the SEC, they're very much in. You have one of those SEC teams you're expecting to see, and then we're going we're gonna to basically see how the ACC is turned out. But Brandon, looking... At the rankings, looking at how it's gone, the team that you think, wow, doesn't necessarily, we didn't factor in being here about a month ago, is Auburn. They've been the team that was left for dead 
after losing to uh, LSU, and then since then it's just rattled off win after win. They got the Iron Bowl coming up, but what Gus Malzahn's done at Auburn is, to me, a story, if not the story, of the college football season. Yeah, I mean, they got a tough schedule, and they're play, playing in the SEC, and they've won a couple big games in the last couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden you look that they're only like four-point underdogs in this game against Alabama, and when was the last time we saw an Alabama team that wasn't favored by more than a touchdown? against mm -hmm. an SEC team that you would have thought at the beginning of the year they'd be favored by 7, 14, one or two touchdowns. And so you give credit there to Malzahn. And something about this Auburn team this year makes you think that this could be an upset in the making. Well, it's the way they destroyed Georgia. Not yeah. just beat Georgia, but destroyed that Georgia No, they team. killed them. And defensively has always been a liability. I shouldn't say always, but in the last couple of years, even the year they made the title, they have not been known as a good defensive team. They're a good defensive team now, so that flips everything as well. Uh, we know the ACC is going to have a representative in the playoff, we assume, given some big upsets that could happen here. Oklahoma looks pretty safe to at least make a push. But then you have Wisconsin, and we're going to get to them and, and what they're looking at, uh, a game against Minnesota, but for all intents and purposes, they win against Ohio State. They go to the playoff. We waited a while. We weren't sure. It was one of the, if not the easiest schedules that we've seen. But they handled Michigan. They handled them in their big game. So they've gotten to this point. They've beaten everybody they should, Michigan especially soundly. I think Wisconsin's starting to prove that they can at least hang around with the big boys. Oh, uh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. If they're an undefeated Power 5 champ, including a win over Ohio State in the conference championship game, they're going to be in. That Michigan game was good to get at the end of the year to sort of showcase what they can do. I don't think they're necessarily the fifth best team in the country at all. And we'll get they get a chance to prove it though going up against your uh, Buckeyes in a couple weeks, so it'll all play itself out, which is exactly what you want. You don't want it to do too much left up to chance and just committee debate. So and I think that if Ohio State wins the Big Ten, then that's when you get into more of the conversation of if they should be in over uh, Oklahoma or well, I mean not Oklahoma since they lost to them on on their own home field. Exactly, it just opens up the discussion more. And that's why I think Ohio State, just a side note, has a very, very tough time of making a playoff case because Oklahoma, if they lose one game, they still beat them head-to-head. -head. You're going to have a on tough time too. yeah, on the road. But what if you beat Wisconsin and then you win the Big Ten Championship? I mean, I mean excuse me, you win the Big Ten Championship right. and then all of a sudden... There's already precedent for that, though. Yeah. Last year, Penn State didn't yeah, get in either. True. That's so, true. That's true. Um, no, I, I think Wisconsin, Michigan still, for all that they've gone through in a very disappointing year, still a top-five defense. Wisconsin was able to move the ball down at the end of that game. So, I, look, as an Ohio State fan, I think that's going to be a heck of a game. And Wisconsin, Ohio State, depending on what happens this weekend, might be a dead-even line. It might be at that point. So we'll have to see. Well, Brandon Marcus, Matt Wittenberg, Money Mitch Effect. There's a lot more to play for than just the playoff spot this weekend because a lot of these conferences still have – uh, the standings are still close to getting to conference title games. And a scenario I'm going to throw at you guys right now, because this is the one that interests me the most, the Pac-12. USC is mm -hmm. in. Stanford's not in yet, but they're just sitting and watching because Washington State controls their own dest destiny. Washington, thanks to a late-night loss to the Arizona State Sun Devils way back when. Yeah, forks up, baby. Is not going <laughs> to go to the Pac-12 title game. That that in and of itself is very shocking. All the talent that the Huskies return guys, and they're not even in the conference title game. No, and everyone was saying how they're going to be the representative from the Pac-12 to be in the semifinal. And then all of a sudden, Washington loses a big game that they shouldn't have lost. Mm -hmm. And here they are, not controlling their own destiny. And... Here we go again with Washington versus Washington State. If I'm not 
mistake and the same scenario played out last year yeah, with, for Washington yeah. State where if they would have won they would have advanced to that Pac-12 title game yeah, exactly and they got their butt handed to them in that game so it'll be interesting to see if they go for a little bit of revenge here and try to make it to the back Pac-12 title game but if you're Stanford Bryce Love's hurt again I mean, I think USC wants to see Stanford rather than seeing Washington State again. Yeah, I mean, Washington State already beat yeah, the exactly. this year. So I would definitely like, to, I'd prefer to see Washington State in that matchup again. And just because <laughs> of how good, or I guess depending on your point of view, how bad mm-hmm. that Friday night game was up in Pullman when yeah. USC got knocked off. And yeah, it's interesting how everyone just penciled in Washington, USC in the Pac-12 championship game right at the start of the season just like them being head and shoulders talented above the rest of the conference and I mean that's why they play the games I know it's a dumb old cliche but it's funny and then uh, yeah Stanford with not a whole lot to play this for this week against Notre Dame I know it's a rivalry game and they don't want to lose so they very well could hold Bryce Love out of this and just wait and see and hope they get another chance at SC in the Pac-12 championship game well it's more satisfying I think for fans for it to be Washington State that rematch to see if SC can beat them the second time but the other storyline that I think would be good is more Bryce Love playing football on a big on a big stage. If he's healthy, though, I mean, if if, if this ankle injury is serious, then Sanford has then no just shots. Give Baker Mayfield the Heisman because this is yeah, the only other they guy. They should have already done that. I I would vote. I'd still probably vote for Bryce Love. I know I might be really? the minority, but I well, I think passing numbers are inflated in the Big Twelve. I think Baker's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's oh, 100% that. Absolutely. But Bryce Love is getting – it's almost like he's starting to now finally get some respect for what he did in the beginning of the season. Yeah. And he missed one game. Their team almost lost to Oregon State. I mean, I just – Well, same thing happened to yeah. Toby Gerhardt a while ago. Mm-hmm. I think he finished second in the Heisman voting, and he dominated that year. That Stanford tradition is second place in the Heisman yeah. voting. Yeah, the best argument I heard, I think mm-hmm. it was you, Witt, was that if they're not going to give it to McCaffrey a couple of years ago, they're just not going to give it mm-hmm. to a Stanford running back. Um, Let alone not a, anybody on the Pac-12 on the West Coast. I mean, if, yeah. you're, not, if you're not from USC, most likely you're not going to win the Heisman. <laughs> I mean, Mariota did, but he yeah. had a quarterback in a spread running right. offense, too, so he had the chance so, to put up a so, huge number. Exactly. Let me just ask this scenario. Is there any chance that if Oklahoma loses, let's say, the Big 12 title game, poor Mayfield performance, and Love destroys Notre Dame and then has a great game and a win against SC, does that help his I mean, that chance? Or there's a lot of recency bias as far as that's what I'm saying. Goes, like they so. usually, it's like a big performance, like signature game. I, so he, it's like Brandon referred to earlier about his health going into this Notre Dame game. That's a huge question mark. So and Mayfield might miss a few plays. I don't know. He might miss like yeah, an entire I bet series. You he's out of series. <laughs> <laughs> Three handoffs, punt, and he's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Next series, yeah. So I mean, I. Brandon and I are big Pac-12 guys. Obviously, we'd love to see the trophy stay out on the West Coast, but it's just, I mean, we're realistic. It's its going to be Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. When do the ballots have to be submitted? I think it's after the conference championship game. Is it? So you get that week to yeah. to play, which I still That's don't know big. how Jason White won the Heisman that one year because that happened after yeah, that game. They got destroyed. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is big, so we'll see. I mean, there's some scenarios out there. We have a good sense of a lot of the conference title games. Just a side note, I don't even know who Oklahoma is going to play now in that conference title game. Uh, it looks like it's T- TCU for sure. Is it still TCU? Track, yeah, unless they there, lose to Baylor somehow. If TCU is the Baylor, there's like five, five, and three teams in that conference, and I don't know what the tiebreaker system yeah, it's is. A or complicated tiebreak scenario but, for sure. Like uh, yeah. Iowa State, I think still has a shot at it, but. <laughs> They're yeah. twenty-four point favorites. So if TCU loses that game, then they gotta just shake their heads and go away somewhere. Yeah, they lost. If I mean Baylor, Baylor one in ten. Yeah, so. 
Is that Mon- even a rivalry Mon- game? Mon- I don't even know. Yeah, that's a rivalry <laughs> game. Yeah. Talking about how the mighty have fallen. Yeah. Baylor used to be uh, the cream of the crop over there. Remember that game a few years ago that when they were both undefeated mm-hmm. or, or not one one loss and they shared like the Big 12 championship? Yeah, the Boyk and Petty showdown. Yeah, neither of them made the playoff because they didn't have a conference championship game. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny too because a lot of these conferences cannibalized themselves this year by just upsets that might have cost themselves seat at the ta- seats at the table. Mm-hmm. So. It's funny how that works out. But all right, Money Mitch Effect, Brandon Marcus, Matt Wittenberg. Let's get to the action this weekend. And it starts on Thursday. A lot of game previews to get to. I'm excited to do just that. Any love on Thanksgiving night for the Egg Bowl? Uh, it's, I think it's going to be better than the NFL game with, what is it, Redskins-Giants? <laughs> that's a safe bet. Thursday that is, night, that so. is a safe bet. I Look, Mississippi State, Dan Mullen has done a great job this year, turned their program around. His whole tenure there, but this year especially, they started out slow. There's rumors about him not staying in Starkville much longer either. Mississippi's shown that they've been feisty. 15 points, I believe the spread is right now. Mm-hmm. It's a lot for me in a rivalry game with, I mean, Mississippi State's not exactly Bear Bryant's Bama team. So I think I think Mississippi might make this one interesting. I still like Mississippi State to win, though. Ole Miss with, not, I mean, there are five wins, but they're ineligible for a bowl game anyway because of the you know the whole oh yeah we know yeah we know (laughs) not a whole lot to not a whole lot to play for other than pride and beating your in-state rivals which i mean most teams get up for those games so i think that yeah i think it'll be a closer than that 16 or 15 whatever it was yeah especially when it's at mississippi state i mean the issue is can mississippi state's defense stop Ole miss and i'm not sure they can actually do that considering you i mean just look at passing yards per game 16th for Mississippi <laughs> in the nation, 230th for Mississippi State. So, I mean, it's just you got to figure out your offense. Uh, Arkansas gave them a scare last week, yeah. too. So, they, they can be had. And the crowd will help you. I mean, the crowd always does end up helping if you're at home. It'll help your offense, but more importantly, it'll help your defense and give you that energy you need. Mm-hmm. So, like Witt said, I think it might be closer than people think. I just like watching Nick Fitzgerald play. Um, I'm just a yeah. fan of his and – I think I think they they gave Bama that scare. I think Mississippi mm-hmm. State's going to pull away late in this one. How about a, a so Friday night games? There's not really or Friday day games. I should say not a whole lot on tap Friday, but some interesting matchups. I just got to say this: what the best turnaround the last four weeks has probably been Mizzou. What the Missouri Tigers have done just randomly from poor being, balls, poor balls. But not just poor balls, poor Gators, yeah. poor what Vanderbilt they destroyed last week, and now they're going on this reign of terror where they're going to beat coaches, beat teams, and get their coaches fired because now mean, it's Arkansas Bert's this week. Already gone. Let's let's be real. He's he's not coaching for much of yeah. anything in this game. Eleven maybe, points maybe on the road. I eleven points on the road. I still like Drew Locke in Missouri in oh, this yeah. game because I think Arkansas just quit. I mean it's. It's over. But that's a buyout. That's an even bigger buyout than Mora's from what I've heard. Why do these coaches get such big buyouts? That, that, that's what I want to know is who the agrees to this? Yeah, who agrees to this? Because you know that coaches aren't going to last the five or six years you give them on a contract. Yeah. So it just doesn't make sense. You end up screwing yourself, and you're basically telling your boosters, like, hey, I know you want to win right away, but if this guy doesn't win – in like three years, you might need to give us like twelve or thirteen million dollars well, to pay and, for this guy to leave. And, and then, of course, the new ten to fifteen million dollars for the new guy. Yeah. And how about the fact that the best coaches, a la Nick Saban, doesn't have a buyout? He can just leave whenever he wants. Yeah. Bets on himself and is like, that's I'm how good. you keep him at Alabama. <laughs> yeah. How many like, other coaches can do that? Yeah, yeah. Let's true. Be not that many. Not that many. I got a game I'm keeping an eye on in the betting world, and that is oh, on boy. Friday. Pit Miami. 
Only oh. 14 points. I really like the Hurricanes in this one. Pitt's 4-7, and seven, and they're kind of a disaster. Well, they had their chance to slip up, too. For That's Miami. what I'm saying, too. Yeah, it was Miami, last week. They really did have their you chance. think that was their wake-up call? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Start against yeah, I think, I think Mitch is uh, right on on this one. Pitt's just not very good. Not they just all. saw their idol, Peterman, fall on the NFL level. <laughs> so I just, their idol. I, uh, yeah, I just like the Hurricanes here. I think the turn, turnover chain is going to be out in full force. That's how you cover a big spread like this. Lots yeah. of turnovers. Last week was, I think, the first time in a stretch of like four games where Miami had like four turnovers right. every single game. Plus, is there any worse Power 5 home field advantage than Heinz Field? Like, yeah. Probably not. Pretty much insert pro stadium, and that's, you know, as bad. Although Miami is the same way, but... No, no, uh, this, this year no, yeah, this like been, been better. It in, but, yeah. I mean, just you, you see Pitt fans dressed as those army of yellow seats whenever they're <laughs> playing at Heinz Field, so... Another big game to watch in terms of a rivalry. Not Maybe not the quality on the game, but I always like watching Nebraska-Iowa. It was a rivalry before. It was a Big Ten league game. And you have Ferentz, the... The, the longest tenured coach now in college football who's completely unpredictable will beat Ohio State one week, give Penn State a game, and then get beat by anybody else. But Nebraska, three-point underdogs at home, also in search of a new coach. And I think that might be the surest thing, Scott Frost going back home to where he did damage. And Mike Riley possibly going to UCLA and coming wow. back to the mm. West Coast. I mean, Oregon State has an opening, too. Yeah. So I might want to just end up back there in yeah. Corvallis. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. That was still one of the weirdest hires ever, the Mike Riley to Nebraska thing I, I never got. And it's a lateral move, right? I mean, it's a below lateral move for Nebraska. Yeah. Mike Riley, like all the reports here, he's the nicest guy ever, and he can recruit decently well. But obviously, coaching college, major college football is not about being nice. So, yeah. Well, USC always was interested in him, though, which is weird because I, I do remember those he was rumors. at the top of the chain every single time they had an opening. Mike Riley's name was always thrown out there. Hey, it probably worked out for the best not yeah. grabbing him. <laughs> so we have another interesting game, and it's just to put a bow on an interesting season. The Texas-Texas Tech rivalry showdown, 6-5, and 5-5-6. Five, five and six. Tech hasn't won, is 2-6 and six in league. We can still get to a bowl game. Texas is 6-5 and five now. If they win and things break their way, there is a scenario. It's a pretty low one that they're in the Big 12 title game with a conference record. Not going to happen. And I think they win this game, but the tiebreakers don't yeah. break their way. Tom Herman's coming, though. I'm telling you that right now. That team is going to be a force well, in the Big 12. Well, they showed that early on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they showed that they competed with USC, and they've just done a nice job recruiting. They're getting the guys there slowly but surely. Everyone expects these coaches to win their first year and even their second year, but they don't realize that they're, that yeah, you got to recruit your own guys. Those are the guys that come in the second year, and then you end up developing them. And the third year is when they're sophomores, and that's when you should have some expectations for mm-hmm. them to actually make some noise. You guys going to watch Josh Rosen's final college game? No. Against Cal? Because win or lose, he's not playing another game. <laughs> okay. That's it. I mean, there's, He's going to do whatever he can to throw for like 400 yards and I mean, six touchdowns. This is literally so. it. It's yeah. literally nothing after this, win yeah. or lose. And just scream as receivers because they drop every single pass that he throws. Uh, they, they sure didn't do him any favors last no. week. <laughs> yeah, he still had a decent game yardage-wise. I mean, that's but, just yeah. been the whole season. That's just literally been how it's yeah. worked out. But all right, some bigger <laughs> games now. The Saturday slate that we've kind of gotten into. Some interesting ones, to say the least. I'll start with this one. Georgia, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech at home. 11-point underdogs. This is a rivalry game. Mm-hmm. Georgia Tech's frisky. Any love for the Yellow Jackets? 
in this game. Not this year. No. I know you love the mascot, Whit. We've been I, over I that do, before. Yeah. yeah. The Buzz the Yellow Jacket's <laughs> always going to have a special place in my heart. But fortunately, I just don't see them doing it this year. I mean, that stadium's probably going to be 60-40 Georgia fans in, out there in Atlanta. So, I mean, I wouldn't count on them getting too huge of a home crowd boost. And Georgia Tech did beat them last year, but this is a different Georgia team. Uh, they'll probably let Fromm air it out a little bit more in this game. So they still want to get up on their best foot in advance playing Bama or Auburn in the SEC championship game. So I think that Georgia definitely covers the spread in this one. Looks like it's 11. I'll be curious to see what the over-under is because you have two teams that can run the ball. Well, so that, so the, the clock's just going to keep ticking when you run the ball like that. So I'll be curious to see. I'm seeing 51 and a half. Oh, yeah. See, that's low. That's <laughs> they're, really They're baiting low. you. They're yeah, baiting they you. they are definitely baiting you there. It's uh, They're baiting you. Um, but, no, I, I think at the end of the day, Georgia's going to win this game, but you worry about Georgia Tech covering this spread. This is an uncomfortable one for me because Georgia Tech, that's what they do. They keep things close. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still some question marks with that offensive line. Fromm got beat up by Auburn. And we're starting to see that that might be the way you beat this team. You get to you disrupt their timing and everything. Fun so fact, that rivalry is called clean old-fashioned hate for those that didn't know. Really? Yeah. Clean old-fashioned hate? Yeah. Okay. I don't know what trophy they play for or if they do at all, but yeah. The middle finger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, but the, they just, if Georgia wins, they just kill a bunch of bees <laughs> at midfield. That's all they do. All right. Uh, another big game, Money Mitch Effect, Brandon Marcus, Matt Wittenberg. Another one I'm keeping a close eye on for a favorite that I think might might win by a lot. Clemson, South Carolina. The South Carolina rivalry game, just just 14 points for Clemson. Another team in the SEC that I don't think is very good. I like Clemson here. They got they have a lot to play for now. Florida State, a couple weeks ago, might have been their wake-up call, a lot like Miami. I think this is a focused Clemson team that knows they just have to complete this task and then go on to the ACC title game. Yeah, I mean, that that's the point right now for these teams that are in the top four. It's not going to be a letdown game at any point because these guys know what's in sight and they just need to win one game here and they can end up possibly going to the playoffs. So I think Clemson's going to come out with their best foot forward. The only thing is obviously they're on the road. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how much of an impact that actually plays. Yeah, their defense has been really consistent most of the year too, barring that Sy- bizarre Syracuse game. But And they're, it's, important, it's important to note, they're unlike Miami, already have a loss. So one loss here, even yeah. if they win the ACC, could doom them. Yeah, so I think they that should don't have you know. any margin of error at all. And then yeah, South Carolina's offense has been pretty up and down this year. So I like Clemson. I mean, they're just overall better team. Has there ever been a sadder version of Florida State, Florida? No, no. no. <laughs> I was thinking Not about this. God, Florida no. State's just been bad. This used so to be bad. one of the premier games by a mile every well, year. Well, it still on this could weekend. have been this year. I mean, but obviously, Florida State <laughs> loses their QB the first week in the season. I think mm-hmm. it was. And so they're not where they should have been because they could have been way better than they actually ended up being. Um, obviously, you lose Dalvin Cook to the draft. It's just it's rough. And then Florida. Florida's never going to be good, I feel like. It's just every single year you think that there's expectations for them. Their defense ends up being decent. And then I they just lose two or three games. They've had a good offense. It feels yeah. like it's been since. No. Tebow? Yeah, there. probably. No, legitimately. That's, I think, the last time they actually had a quarterback that they trusted. It's just a disaster, and they let all these good quarterbacks go to other schools. Like it's just yeah, insane. All these insane. Oh, yeah. Well, Will Greer, the most recent one. That's it, just insane. Like yeah. they had, oh, they had nobody else there, and they let Will Greer yeah, go. Yeah, definitely one of the sadder 
I don't actually know Speaking the name of that rivalry off the top of my head. Sunshine State, maybe. Speaking of Will Greer, any little—I mean—that finger injury was disgusting last week. Just totally disgusting. I still haven't seen it, by the way. I heard don't, everybody talking about it, so I bothered not to look it up. It's—it's it's not the injury. There's—it's the slow walk, long way to the oh. sideline where he holds it up like, "Yep, <laughs> broken. Not gonna be able to play anymore." In case you needed evidence. Yeah, but 30, 30 second ISO shot of it too. Got his little bone. Pretty, pretty, oh, pretty gross. Well, do you know what, off the top of your head what the Oregon Oregon State rivalry is? I do in fact that one's the Civil War. Okay, and the trophy? Do they have? Is it just? They used to play for the Platypus Trophy. I think that they just <laughs> yeah they just give that out between like the alumni associations okay. now. So it's I mean like Oregon's had it probably official. for like forty years. So <laughs> Oregon the, State actually beat them last yeah, year. I know, I know. It's yes. the first time in a while. There hasn't been. Oregon was bad, but now they've actually figured out what they're doing because it's funny. You looked at that spread last week and you thought for sure Arizona would end up covering a plus three considering Mm -hmm. they had Khalil Tate. Everything made you think that Arizona should win that game. But Oregon, turning the corner a little bit here. Yeah, they were the first team to really shut down uh, Khalil Tate. Even against USC in the second half, he showed the same flashes of running ability. So, I mean... Anytime they lose, I'm happy, so I was glad to see the Ducks come out on top in that yeah. one. I'll tell you a sleeper bet that I'm looking at. I kind of like A&M points plus 10.5 LSU. Just because both of these teams, I think, are about the same for me. You don't really trust either. LSU has shown. LSU's offense is you exactly. can't count on at all. I know there's rumors with someone, and this is a big game. They're on the road, but I kind of like 10.5 points for A&M. They could do some things. That's not bad, getting 10.5 points in a game that – could end up being low scoring with mm-hmm. LSU's offense not being great because I thought against the game against Tennessee, I thought Tennessee would make it a little bit more of a contest. Just you lose Butch Jones as one of those, hey, the next game you get up for a big right, game. Yeah, like finally, yeah. ball out. <laughs> Didn't but, quite happen. That's you know, what's Brady Hoke, so. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's future Tennessee head coach. He's got the, he- Hoke, he's got the headset. No shot. No <laughs> shot. He's, he's using the headset now. He's not uh, talking to himself. That's good. All right, Wit, your turn now. Arizona, Arizona State. That one's called the Territorial Cup. Yeah, that wasn't. I was letting you talk about the rivalry, but I figured you knew the name of it. But finally, some new juice in this rivalry. Last year was I watched this game with you. Probably the saddest version of the rivalry. Oh, okay, that's, that's <laughs> one that I tried to lock out of my memory. But this one's good. Both teams better. Uh, maybe not as good for you having to worry about a guy like Khalil Tate, but. The Sun Devils have proven that they can play with the big boys, too. And right now, this is a pick-em. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 74 and a half over-under pick-em. How do you break this game down? It's, it's always an unpredictable one. So, I mean, that's that pick-em is about right. It can bounce anyway. It doesn't matter if it's in Tucson or Tempe, up in Tempe this year, for those who are taking that into account. But, yeah, it's, the key is all about stopping Khalil Tate. Oregon sort of provided the blueprint last week, and then him not getting those lanes to run through and making him beat, try and beat them with their arm, with his arm, and his wide receivers doing him no favors. So we'll see. The ASU's defense has been super inconsistent this year. They had they ball out against Washington, and then just get gashed by UCLA. And obviously, Josh Rosen's a pretty good quarterback, but so is Khalil Tate. So you. I honestly I don't know what to expect from this game. I'm hopeful, but I'm also kind of want to lose because Todd Graham might get fired. So, <laughs> so I love it, this time yeah. of year. So <laughs> it's, uh, I want to lose. It's a little bit of a catch twenty two for me. Like I hate to see. I would hate to see the, us losing to them two years in a row. But I mean, if it sacrifices Todd Graham, then I mean I'm all for it. I'm picking the Wildcats, unfortunately, yeah, to so win this I. game. Um, I just don't think you can shut down Tate two weeks in a row. 
When the Sun Devils have won games this year, their offense has been clicking just about on all cylinders. It's a pretty high ask. I like to just say to win this game, you have to go out and pretty much destroy Arizona's defense. Yeah, I think it's going to sure. be very similar to last year, where the offense is going to do some stuff, but God. defense. I mean, yeah. they they won that game without attempting to pass in the second half last year. And I don't so think they punted in the second half again, either. Then, uh, then uh, heads are going to definitely be rolling. <laughs> Todd Graham, I always think he's like a mall singer with that microphone attached. He's, 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 he has a big boy headset now. He's not having the, uh, the Britney Spears That's true. Uh, stage mic. That's so. true. All right, a couple games left to discuss on this edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Notre Dame-Stanford, always a good game every year. Brandon, Notre Dame's still alive in the playoff discussion, but at the very least, they win this game. They're playing in a big bowl on New Year's Day, so a lot to play for there, but... As we know, regardless of rankings, point spreads, you name it, Stanford trips up Notre Dame. It just seems to be what they do at the end of the year. Does that continue, or do the Irish bounce back? It just depends if Love's playing. If, if Love yeah, doesn't so play, I think they lose. If Love plays, I think they win. If he's if Love plays and he's healthy, I think they win. But if he's banged up, I mean, you have Wimbush and you have Adams. Between those two guys, I think it'll be enough. Although Stanford's defense is always good and always up to the task. But yeah, I think Notre Dame wins that game if Love's not at full strength. Funny game, funny game to see what the odds shift because it's minus two and a half Notre Dame on the road. If they rule Love out, they'll be touchdown favorites. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the power this young man they has. Gave Notre Dame a pretty good scare last week though. So if you can control the clock and play keep away, which they'll be able to do if Love is a full go. So you control the trenches. I mean, that's where they've been yeah. vulnerable. It's whoever runs the ball better. I feel like at this point because you have two great running backs which running back is actually going to get his numbers. Because you know at some point during that game, they're going to show the comparison side-by-side mm-hmm. side if Love is playing about which running back is actually doing better. And that team's going to end up being win. I like Stanford. I like, I'm, I'm with you. If he's, if he's ruled out, I'm changing my pick. But yeah. eight, I think, 50-yard run touchdown runs this year. Like, it's just yeah. it's insane. All it takes is one play. Could shift everything. The Iron Bowl, Alabama and Auburn. And again, it seems like the, the, the resurgent years. I know we weren't old enough to to be around for the, the rivalry in the 70s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. But in our lifetime, it seems like it's been meaningful every year. One of these teams is going, if not both, for championship aspirations. Both this year are with Auburn, only four-point dogs at home to Alabama. Two loss Auburn versus undefeated Bama. Does War Eagle have enough to beat Alabama in this one? I don't know. It's it's This one is, I feel like that four and a half should be a little bit lower, but... I, I was talking, Brandon and I were talking about this a little bit before the show. Is this like the least talked about 11-0 Alabama team ever? Yeah. Like, I mean, they had, other than the Mississippi State game, they haven't been tested. Part of that is the schedule, the weakness of the SEC as a whole. Yeah. The fact that that opening game against Florida State means nothing now, and that's not Alabama's fault. No, not at all. They, they, they didn't know <laughs> yeah. that Florida State yeah. was going to collapse right. and win four games this year. Obviously, them losing their quarterback has a lot to do with it, but... Alabama dealing with like some linebacker injuries as well, and Auburn finally has a competent quarterback in Stidham who can actually air it out, and they're not just banking on him to make plays with his legs. So Malzahn just knows how to put points up and move the ball on Saban's defenses, and that's what's always going to make this game close to me. Right. But defensively, do you think do you think Auburn has enough firepower to handle with? As, as our friend Sean Sullivan says, the crockpot Alabama offense where they just warm up, they warm up, and by the second half, they've completely worn you down and blitz teams. Yeah, I think it's going to be probably a pretty low scoring first half, maybe 10-7, 10-3, something like that in good old Iron Bowl fashion. And yeah, I think we could really see it open up in the second half. 
I'm leaning towards Alabama taking this one. I feel like Jalen Hurts is going to end up having a really good game. And just think that, yeah, there's still that saving stigma over Even though Auburn has had more success against him than probably any other team, other than maybe those couple times Ole Miss got him. But, I, yeah, I'm rolling tight on this one. And really, when was – I mean, Witt and I were talking about it. When was the last time we were talking about an Alabama team and not really talking about many of the guys going to the draft? I don't know if it's just us on the West Coast and not really paying a ton of t- attention to Alabama. They got some studs, but it's yeah, it's, it's just interesting. Not as it's much, not I guess. talked about as much as usual for some reason. I don't know what it is because every year we're talking about the high-powered Alabama team, offensively and defensively, right. especially their defense. But for some reason this year, we're not talking about them as much, which makes me think that they're a little vulnerable when we're not building them up as much as we normally do. And that's why I don't know. You're right. I mean, Auburn's had the best of them of any other team, really. So I, I think that Auburn can pull off this upset. So you like outright win? Yeah. Okay. I'm taking it. I'm still going to go Bama. I still think it might be a good thing for them that they're not getting talked about. Like Saban's like, hey, we're not yeah. as hyped up as we've been in the past. If anybody can turn that into a positive, it's him. There's some noise around Melzahn, too, not being at Auburn next year. So I'm not. I'm a little skeptical to see. Where would he go? Arkansas. Why, why would you do that, though? He's from there. That's where, that's, yeah, you know, that's, right. and they'll pay him whatever he wants and. You know, sometimes things have a shelf life. Yeah. There's oddly too, like I think he's a great coach, but there's been a lot of noise around him that they're not happy at Auburn. It's the nature of that job in the SEC. So um, being in the same same state as Alabama, <laughs> I mean that doesn't make it easy for anyone, no matter no. who you hire. No, Gene Chizik won a title. He was out two years later. So um, no, I like Bama to win this game. I think the secondary is a lot better for Alabama than people give them credit for. That's the position on defense yeah, where uh, I just feel like it's. Well, obviously, Minka Fitzpatrick missed this last game, so yeah, hopefully mean, they held him out just to get healthy. I mean, no reason to really he's a risk top, him against Mercer. He's so. a top 10, top 15 pick, so we'll see there. And then the last game, I saved it for last. Finally, that every geez. year. I have to. We have to We have to end with the game. The game. The Cap- game. Capital G. Capital G. Ohio State, at Michigan. At the big house. At the big house this year. Yeah, I'm really shaking in my boots, but no, it's no, at the big house this year. I will say I wish the uniforms were a little more classic. Call me a traditionalist, but I don't like these new no, hybrid for this game for this too. game. Like yeah. I, it's, I had the same thing with Penn State. Like we shouldn't have trotted out the the new combat Nike uniforms for that game. You know, roll them out against like Rutgers or right. one of the other <laughs> FCS teams. <laughs> but they're FCS, right? Rutgers. No. <laughs> but I still think the biggest the biggest scare for any Ohio State fan, two biggest scares would be one: this is just the rivalry game. That anything can happen is, and you know that an upset's possible even with Ohio State eleven point favorites on the road. The other thing being, they got that unknown young quarterback there, and you always wonder if the potential for him to have a breakout game is there. I've been much more confident if O'Corn was still there because you kind of know what you're going to get. He might not play though. This so they're down the fourth string. He's got he's he's in concussion protocol. So the question is, will he actually play? If he doesn't play, they're screwed. Yeah, they don't have anybody else left. Yeah, if they, if he doesn't play, they're screwed. But if he does play, then you're right. I mean, you, when was the last time we saw a big Harbaugh win? It, it seems like we uh, haven't had that uh, in, in college. No, like in the last <laughs> couple. Yeah. Like, no, 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 like at I Michigan, yeah. in the last couple of years, they've had such that. high expectations. Penn State pretty badly last year. Yeah, yeah. that was before they went on that roll to be Penn State. Yeah, right. That's, that's like his signature. In a game now. late in the season, like mm-hmm. when Michigan obviously is an underdog you're not really expecting it from them that's kind of when harbaugh likes to shine 
You know, I got to give props to JT Barrett, 100 touchdown passes in his college career that I think is finally coming to an end. It only took <laughs> yeah, three seasons yeah. to get that. I think it's finally coming but to an end. But even on and off the field, it's crazy that he was ended up doing that after, I mean, you look at that year where there were three quarterbacks that saw the field, mm-hmm. and here he is. That's yeah, the the Aaron Kraft of Ohio State football, if Gee, you will. That's so. true. That's true. They both. Uh, it's crazy that he was. I saw. I can't take credit for this joke because I saw it on Twitter. But that he's been able to rack up this many passing yards with the forward pass being illegal when he first got good. on campus. It's good. I like it. So it's good. I kid, JT. I kid. It's college football is not going to be the same without you. So Michigan. Yeah, I don't even remember what that's like. Michigan <laughs> is still a top five defense. You wonder about how they play in the game last year. They pretty much abused the Ohio State offensive line. There's still some vulnerability there. But if Ohio State gets some points early, Dobbins, Weber, just mm-hmm. a heavy dose of Barrett because they really relied on that run, run pass game plan. How is Michigan going to come back? That's the I, I don't see it even, even taking the bias out. If they're down double digits, you're going to force either a third-string quarterback or somebody we've never heard of to throw. Right. I don't know, Ohio State secondary that's just been pumping out first-round draft picks left, right? With the pass rush, with the pass rush that they have, I feel pretty good about Ohio State. I mean, you're never going to feel great about the, your team winning a rivalry game, but right. Ohio State should win this relatively easy. I'll say, I'll say 33-14. Wow! Oh, you're picking a big ups. Yeah. I mean, a big win there. That's only like what eight points off the lot. spread. Yeah, 19's a lot yeah. though. Still. Yeah, Michigan needs. They. I mean, they have to come out swinging. Maybe get an early turnover. Get a yeah. short field. Like that's that's the, the key. Only way it's going to break their yeah. way. But you guys don't see it? No. Okay. Not, good. not even a little bit. No, I think it has okay. to end up being to no. two or, <laughs> it has to be two or three turnovers that Michigan gets. They have to end up converting like a fake punt. Yeah. I mean there there has to be a couple things that break their way that normally wouldn't happen in a football game. Ohio State plays like they do against Iowa, which is probably right. the worst they've played in mm-hmm. I don't know. The pick six right off the game. Yeah. So if yeah. if it breaks that way then yeah, you know their crowd's obviously going to be really into it, and they're going to be hyped at the start, but how long can you keep that Man, Harbaugh, adrenaline going? Harbaugh, fourth in the Big Ten East. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Michigan mm. hasn't had that good of a year, and that would always scare me yeah. in a rivalry game. That's why I was worried about UCLA, because a team that hasn't had a good year, this is their Super Bowl. Yeah, that's right. And, and so for Michigan, they're coming into this game, they're putting it all on the line. They could care less about any possible bowl game. I mean, they want to win this game. And so that will, is what would scare me if I was Ohio State. And that's why I think it's going to be a little bit closer so than people like, think. You like the points, then? Yeah, but it just depends who starts a quarterback. Right. I mean, if they don't have a quarterback, you're not going to win a game without a quarterback. It's that simple. Sure not is. rocket science. It's just a trot Harbaugh out there. It looks yeah. Like he's always doing the throws in pregame warm-ups. So. Still my favorite sign that I saw at Wisconsin game day was just the traditional Harbaugh. as a mouth breather. Mm. <laughs> It's hard, hard it's hard to beat the classics. Well, all right, guys, this was fun. I can't believe the regular season's over. Last question before I let you go: Who's going to be in the playoff? Oh God! If we had it, no, we're guessing. You know, we got two weeks left, but who are the four teams in the playoff? What you ready to lead yeah, off? I'll say Bama, Miami, Oklahoma. You know what? On Wisconsin, go Bucky. Interesting. Okay. You go, Mitch. Okay. I'm going to say Bama. No, you know what? I'll say, yeah, I'll say Bama. I'll say Clemson goes again. I will say Oklahoma. Game three years in a row. I know. It could happen. I'll say Oklahoma. And then for my last team, 
I am going to say, you know. Ohio State? No. I, <laughs> you almost got me with Ohio State. But, no, I, I am going to say that that last team is going to be Georgia. I think Georgia beats Alabama in the title game. We get two SEC teams in. So does Alabama beat Auburn? Then? I think Ohio State beats Wisconsin. I think Alabama beats Auburn. And then I think Oklahoma just handles business. And Clemson, obviously. Clemson Miami. beats Miami. Interesting. There's still that path for two SEC yeah. teams. It involves Very Alabama true. losing in to Georgia in the title game, but yeah, that's I, what I'm rolling with. I like your Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma. I like those three teams. The okay. fourth one's the unknown, though. The question is... If Wisconsin doesn't win the Big right, Ten, who do you go with? That's the thing. Is it who's going to go in there? I mean, Miami and Clemson? Miami, if they lose a tight game to Clemson, could maybe they get that spot. They yeah. would only have one loss, so there's... Mm. Definitely a strong case for them. For some reason, though, it seems like Ohio State always you finds think a way. Just sneak in. It's just if, <laughs> if they beat the crap out of Miami yeah. and then they destroy Wisconsin. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. If, if they beat Michigan and then they beat Wisconsin, okay, what's stopping them? Mm. Uh, the committee loves them. I mean, they proved that last year. So. Yeah. <laughs> that that home loss to Oklahoma is so bad. And though, Iowa was disgusting yeah. too. Yeah, I was a bad um, one. I always think the committee should just mess with us first, like week yeah. one, just because it doesn't mean anything. Put like TCU or like <laughs> Temple or like, you know, <laughs> put Baylor in there randomly. Yeah, How funny would that have been? Yeah. You know, but okay. Well, uh, it's fun. I, don't, I can't even name not, the fourth team. You're not there yet? No. Just say Wisconsin then. No, because I think Ohio State beats them. Okay. Then yeah. you got to go with. I'm legitimately worried about Ohio State if I were you okay. this weekend. I know okay. it's crazy. I get Absolutely it. Absolutely nuts. I get it. Well, if Ohio State loses this Because this always happens. There's always yeah. some upset in the final week with the rivalry right. games. And we don't know where it's going to come from. Yeah, and UCLA and USC already played because that, that yeah. was one. That no, that was absolutely one. Probably the biggest one that I can remember at the end of a season swinging a title picture. Nine. Uh, so that that was an ugly game. I can see Miami. I think I might go Miami there. So Miami get two Clemson, two Miami, ACC Oklahoma, teams. and Alabama. Okay. That should be good. Well, all right, guys, this was fun. College football season almost in the books. We still got bowl season and a playoff picture too. So we're good. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again. And until next time, we'll be enjoying some college football. All right, huge thanks to Brandon Marcus and Matt Wittenberg for breaking down all the action in college football. It's going to be a busy, busy weekend starting on Thursday with that Mississippi-Mississippi State game and going all the way through Saturday night. A lot to happen before we get that final playoff ranking, and uh, we're all really excited for that. All right, next up is Joe Casale on the Money Mitch Effect. NHL season has uh, has been interesting, to say the least, through about a quarter of the way in. Some teams struggling that we didn't expect it. A lot of the Edmonton Oilers, Tampa Bay is rolling. The Vegas Knights, Detroit Red Rings, some teams doing well. we got to break all that down, including the statistical outliers and some NFL talk on the Money Mitch Fact. It's Joe Crisale. Here it is now. All right, now joining me on the Money Mitch Effect to talk some hockey and football. For the first time since the uh, since the Yankees eliminated the Indians from the playoffs, Joe Crisali, this is a trial huh. basis. So uh, you're on probation, but thanks again for joining the show. <laughs> yeah, you had me off for a little bit because my, my team took yours down. You didn't want to talk to me for a while. I was a little mad. I was a little hurt. You know, I was just questioning everything. A lot of 
existential questions going on. But we're back now. It's baseball season's over. Um, and we're into the winter swing of things, uh, which means, as you and I both know, that it's hockey season. And uh, yes. I got to start with this, Joe, because we talked about this before, kind of when the season was going, some questions for the Rangers. They've made a slight push. I know you're a Rangers fan, but they, they started out dreadful. It looked like very, very woeful for this team. They're back on the cusp of that wild card picture. Still a lot of hockey to be played, as you know. But what would you say your assessment is of this Ranger team that started off horribly and is slowly getting back to being a, a run-of-the-mill team that's pushing for a playoff spot? Uh, I don't. I don't believe in it yet. They're too inconsistent. I mean, the roster just looks so different this year compared to previous seasons. And I know. But they got Shattenkirk on D to help bolster that pairing with uh, McDonough. And, but behind, like, the top top line, really isn't much going on for me. Like, Rick Nash is washed up. He's not that good anymore. Uh, and his advantage out has played pretty well. Uh, the biggest surprise for me for them is Pavel Buchnevich. He's, uh, he's really stepped up for them this year. But I really – I'm not too keen on their defense this year. I, I told you this before. I didn't want to say it, but I really think they're missing Girardi. No, I mean he he wasn't the be- their best defender, but he was a leader out there, and they don't they're really missing that. They don't really have the identity that they had last year, and they don't really have that leader that they can look to to help guide them through those tough moments. Like they were hoping that Shattenkirk was going to be that guy, but he really isn't. He's he's just a he's just a goal scoring offensive defenseman that you know I, he's just kind of getting his own and. Everybody else is just kind of out there doing whatever the hell they want. It doesn't really look like uh, it's going too crazy. And Lundqvist is just being hung out there to try. Like, he's getting older, and the team's not getting any better. So who knows how that's going to go. Yeah, a couple of things, because I think this team's pretty fascinating. The Rangers, 7-3 and three in their last 10 to be exactly one point out uh, of a wild-card spot. And just to put it into perspective, Joe, there's a lot of teams in the East in that 7, six, I say about 6-10, to 6-12 to 12 even range that are going to be fighting for the last couple playoff spots. I think it's pretty deep uh, in comparison to their other conference, the Western Conference. But the Rangers have, in this last 10-game span, Joe, they've gotten to a little over three goals a game on average. They come in 3.14 goals for. That's 10th in the league. Goal scoring is not the problem. We both criticized some of the the moves that they didn't make, giving away young pieces. You mentioned Rick Nash. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's completely washed because... He's had seasons like this where he just doesn't start very well, but it does seem like he's lost a little bit of that you know, elite-level goal-scoring luster. But I think the biggest thing is you mentioned Girardi and Lundqvist. I mean, Lundqvist has lost a, a little bit as a goaltender, but their biggest defensive addition is Kevin Shattenkirk, and I love Shattenkirk as an offensive playmaker, but he's not a defensive stopper. And so they never no, really addressed the fact that they let Girardi go, who wasn't amazing, but at least gave them something on the back end. And you watch these games, that Chicago game was perfect. They gave up four goals in that third period, and it could have been more. And maybe one of yeah, those I goals mean, was Lundqvist's fault. So I think they got to start playing good team defense if they want to make a serious push for the playoffs. I mean, not only did they lose Girardi, they lost Strawman, uh, a couple other guys, and it was just like watching uh, Lundqvist out there, he's just kind of lost because he's used to that extra coverage he's got over the over the front of the crease, but he doesn't, he doesn't have it this year. But like you said, they won uh, seven of the last ten, and they have a couple favorable matchups coming up. they got Carolina, Detroit, Vancouver, and Florida, so they should be able to win at least three out of four of those. I know Carolina's ahead of them right now, but 
they're kind of a make-believe team for me, Carolina. And Detroit, I would say so, too. Yeah. It's funny, too, to think that their goals for and goals against is exactly the same, down to the 103.14. So they are a, an average team right now, but they're getting better. So we'll see. Hey, the highlight of the Rangers season, though, might be uh, uh, Brady Shea on uh, Saturday Night Live on the Chance the Rapper skit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they did a pretty good There's job. A K and a J, all in a row. <laughs> I don't that know was, how to say that. That was great. I honestly didn't think Chance the Rapper had that in him to be entertaining, you know. But he was. It was a funny sketch. And uh, yeah. we'll see if the Rangers can bounce back. But a team that doesn't need to bounce back, and, you know, we talk about this a lot. If I were a serious betting man, I think I'd make a, a healthy wager on one team in particular to be a cup front runner, Joe Tampa Bay. I, I am, I'm almost in love with this team with what they do. It's scary how good they are offensively, and if you're if you're just someone that likes goals, that likes flashy plays, and just the best hockey offense can give you, this is your team. I was waiting for you to bring them up because everyone was sleeping on the Lightning. They didn't have their best player last year in Stamkos. Now they have Kucherov, who always flies under the radar, but they have two two guys. Those two guys, Kucherov and. Um, Stamkos that are leading the league in goals, assists, and points. Kucherov <laughs> leads the league in goals. Stamkos leads the league in assists and points. So it's just like Stamkos has 35 points, and he's doing it passing the puck. And we know him as a guy who scores a ton of goals, and he's doing it the other way. He's giving the puck to Kucherov, and he's putting it in the net. And they have that young goalie, Vasilevsky, who's been stonewalling everyone and all the former Rangers on that team that are playing well. So, um they're pretty, they're pretty stern at the top of that uh, Eastern Conference there. Yeah, I don't know when the last time it may, it's been, you probably have to go back to the Gretzky Oilers to think about a time when two teammates were just destroying uh, the league in points. But depth-wise, too, I mean, I saw that Kings-Lightning game in person, and I was shocked with how fast Tampa Bay is. And every one of them, they scored four goals in that period, in that first period. Every goal was nice. Victor Hedman is in the running for the Norris Trophy. I put him uh, right up with Drew Doughty this year based on how they've been performing. Uh, but depth down yeah. the line, I mean, they are just a solid, loaded team and scoring about four goals a game. I mean, Jesus. Like, I know we're, I know we're gearing more towards more offense, some of the rule changes and stuff, but four goals a game. I, if they can give themselves that, defensively they're just a, a middle-of-the-road team, but still they don't need to be the, most, the best defensive team in the league if they're scoring at that clip. Dude, they're, they're pretty much top ten in every major category. They're first in goals, first in assists, first in shooting percentage, first in power, power play percentage, eighth in penalty kill, fifth in goals against. Like, I mean, yeah. You're, scor- you're scoring a ton and you're not giving up a lot of goals. That's pretty much a recipe for complete success. Yeah, and there's the, you know, I shouldn't say middle of the road team because they're a team that they do give up a, a, some goals here or there, but usually it's in those shootout type games when you know they're playing at a pace that the other team just can't keep up at. Here's another stat for you. Their difference, you know, their average on the season, they got a 1.4 difference goals for goals against. Nobody else is over one. So <laughs> it's uh, it's crazy. frightening how good they are. And they just got healthy. Uh, if they stay healthy, if Vasilevsky is the guy in goaltending, I mean, Peter Budai is a good backup as well. But, yeah, they're a young, fast team. And I don't know. It's going to take a certain type of style to beat them. I don't think anybody's beating them at their own game. But if you can play physical, if you can win those 50-50 battles, maybe you have a chance. But Kucherov and Stamkos together, I mean, it's just it's unfair. 
It really is. I mean, I, like I told you, I'm big into fantasy hockey, and I drafted Samco second, my second pick, and that was a steal. I, I had the second overall pick, so I got him at the end of the second round, and he is just tearing it up for me. So they have 32 points in the NHL, um, which is first in the league, but you know they're, they're battling with the team in the Western Conference that we'll get to in a second for overall best record. But they're 15-3-2. They went on the West Coast and, and didn't lose a game in that West Coast trip. Uh, they've been the class of the Eastern Conference. But it's that next group of teams that's really interesting, maybe unpredictable. Is it time to start talking about Toronto, Joe, as a serious cup contender? Because they got 28 points. I really, I really think so. They have the young firepower. I mean, and Matthews has just been ridiculous this year. And I'm pissed at myself for not taking him. I took Crosby at second instead. When I was telling myself to take Matthews, but it's Crosby. But anyway, um, <laughs> they have those young studs. They got Matthews. They have uh, Nylander. They have a good team, you know, and, and they're just playing. Yeah, they're just playing really, really well. Yeah, and some of the additions under the radar moves that they made worked out. I mean, I know Patrick Marlowe is like ancient, but he can still skate. And this is a exactly. team that, you know, Babcock gets his teams to peak at the end of the year. That's just how it works with him as a coach. They're one of the few teams I can maybe count on one hand, Joe, that could skate with Tampa Bay, too. Not, not saying they're better skaters, but they can keep up. People underestimate acquiring an older veteran like that, like Marlowe, like they did. But when you bring in a guy like that who has all that kind of experience, he can coach up those younger players and make them better. It just it just works that way. It works in hockey. It works in baseball. It works in football. The Astros, they brought in Carlos Beltran, and he didn't do anything this year, but they won the World Series because he was that uh, veteran motivational guy. And I think that's what Marlowe can be for your Matthews, your Marners, your Nylanders. And, and they're just – they're really – coming into their own. Like like I said, we talked about Tampa Bay before. Tampa Bay was first in goals, first in shooting per second, percentage, first in assists. Toronto is second in all those <laughs> categories. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. And as far as I know, they don't have any overtime losses. So this is a team that's good in the extra clip as well. Uh, something to think about as they try to get points and, and make that playoff push as I still chat with Joe Crisali, Money Mitch Effect, talking hockey. The rest of that Eastern Conference, pretty interesting because you have your teams like your Columbus, Pittsburgh, Columbus and Pittsburghs who made the playoffs last year still doing pretty well to start the year. Pittsburgh bouncing back from some injury concerns early. The Devils also tied with them atop the Metropolitan Division. And just quickly on the Devils, Joe, they're scoring goals this year. That's the big thing. We knew that they had a good goalie in Corey Snyder and a team defense, but they're scoring this year. And I think as long as they got some offense – you know, eighth in the league in goals, this is going to be a tough team to beat. I, I'm i not sold. I'm not sold on the Devils. Their okay. top goal, their top goal scorer, Gibbons, only has nine goals. Like, they don't have a guy who's in the t- who has double-digit goals. This year could be uh, you don't think Taylor Hall can get at there? the end of the year. You don't think Taylor Hall huh? can get there? I don't know. I, I don't know how well he meshes with that team. He just kind of seems like mm. a toss-in for me on that on that Devils team. There really isn't anybody on this team that you can kind of look to to get you that big goal when you need it. Yeah, no, that's fair. I I just think they got absolutely nothing last year offensively. (laughs) So if they're getting if they're if they're working together, if the sum of their parts is able to give them some stuff. And you know, we mentioned how good Schneider's been defensively. This is a tough division. They're playing tough competition. I, I 
I wouldn't say I'm sold on the Devils, but I'm more sold on this team getting to the top of the Metro Division than maybe the Detroit Red Wings, who sit third in the Atlantic, that I just think is a house of cards. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say uh, kudos first to Devils' Brian Boyle for going oh, yeah, through what he absolutely. went and playing. That's that's like super inspiring, super awesome. Um, for him to even be on the ice is incredible. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's been it's it's impressive as hell what he's been able to go through, and he scored a goal which was phenomenal. And you know, we're all wishing him the best. There are a lot of teams I'm, though that Joe on the outside of the wild card. Do we start pushing the panic button on is my question. The Capitals, the Senators, we talked about your Rangers. The Bruins are another team that made the playoffs a year ago. And then the Habs are just disgustingly bad. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna bring that up to you. The, the standings have kind of flipped this year, give or take a couple teams. Like seeing Montreal towards the bottom is very, very shocking to me because they always are good. They always have a good team. They have one of the best goalies in the league. They got Shea Weber over there. And yeah, and they I, lost I don't know to the Coyotes in regulation. The only team to do that so far this year. <laughs> it's like this, and it's like the standings have flipped in both leagues, though. If you think about it compared mm-hmm. to last year, which is why I'm not really sold on the way that everything is shaking up right now, because like, first of all, the Wild are in last place in the Central, and last year they were, what, the best team they in the, the league by... Their their plus minus was ridiculous last year, and they're not playing well this year. And if you look at it, like you have the expansion team, the Vegas Golden Knights are in second place in the Pacific. And who who saw that coming? I know, beginning, you told me that you didn't think they were going to win double digit games this year or something along that line. And they got 12 wins. Yeah, I was a little off on that prediction, but I, I hockey is such a marathon, and I'd say even more so than baseball because it's such a grueling game, and you just have to make sure that you're peaking at the right time, but you also, you know, can't throw away the season. So it's a fine line for these coaches to watch. Um, the Capitals will be fine. I mean, they're, they're, they went through, you know, some tough patches, but that team's got too much talent. They're starting to figure it out, 6-4 and four in their last 10. I'm not too worried about them, and I do think the yeah, Islanders but... and the Red Wings and, and teams of that nature are fool's gold. I expect the Senators to make a run, too. They're a team that's disappointed me early on. I know they're 9-6-4, and four, but... I just I expect a little more. They do have two games in hand on these uh, some of these teams, but I expect them to be better. Yeah, and they, they just got Duchesne. They have they have the firepower to win. They beat the Rangers in the playoffs last year. So now I, that I'm, that trade though, I, I I'm glad you brought that up. I don't know that that makes them substantially better. Maybe that's just because I like Kyle Turris, but I think he's a big game player. Duchesne has potential, but we don't know how he fits into this team that he's joining once the season started. The Avalanche got a great haul, and kudos to the Predators for throwing their hat into the race and getting a good player in tourists. But I'm not I'm not locking in Duchesne as the, the, the pendulum swinger. I mean, we weren't sold on uh, the Senators when they traded for Broussard. We were thinking, like, wow, they, they traded away a young uh, Zibanejad who was playing really well, and they got an older guy who plays the same position. But, I mean, it worked out for them last year. He scored the the game stealing goal against the Rangers in the playoffs, so I had to watch that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a nice homecoming. But I think the moral of this story is that there's a lot of time left, and a team like Ottawa and even Nashville in that regard, when you make a trade like this, you have to get these guys used to the system, you know. So I, I think that's part of it. And um, look, it's a long season. Uh, we'll just have to monitor how the East shakes out. But the Western Conference will uh-huh. chat with Joker Sally Money Mitch Effect. A lot of the same inverse uh, reaction, but. 
I got to say this. One team that's consistently good in the regular season, it seems year in, year out, the St. Louis Blues, 31 points, one behind the Lightning for best overall in the league. And, Joe, how about this? We know about how good defensively they are, goaltending, Jake Allen, you name it. But how about this? There's two Tampa Bay Lightning atop the points lead, Stamkos and Kucherov. Jaden yep. Schwartz and Brayden Shen, two Blues players, are in the top five. So they're four and five, respectively, with 26 points each. And uh, not exactly what you would expect, at least for me. I think really what uh, is helping them out this year compared to previous seasons is Paul Stassi. He hasn't done anything the last couple of years that he's been on that team, but he's really he's got 18 points this year. So he's kind of turned it around a little bit for them. And they've been doing all this, at least for the beginning part of the season, without Alexander Steen, who is one of their better players over the last couple of years. I mean, he's been back for the last couple of weeks or so, but they were doing all that without one of their top guys. And Jake Allen has been awesome. And Carter Hudden has been awesome for them, filling in for some games that Allen hasn't been in there. So um, I just don't think that the Blues, the Blues are kind of one of those teams where they don't do like one thing particularly well. They just do everything good. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're built for the regular season, and Blues fans don't want to hear that, and it it does sound like a negative, and in a lot of cases it is. But they play a very team-oriented defensive hockey, play the percentages, we're going to grind out wins games. And it works in the regular season because you can catch teams on back-to-backs. You can gear up for one game that teams might not be up for. But when you get to a seven-game series, what tends to happen is the scouting reports, you see a team more than once, you can find chinks in the armor, and and break them down. Um, but, hey, i got to give them credit because offensively they've had scoring droughts in the past. They've had losing streaks that have been a direct result to how bad they've, they've played on the offensive end, and they're coming around. You know, They're playing well in a good division. But that division, the Central, maybe my favorite division in terms of just the depth of talent and the different types of matchup, I'm a little stunned who the top three teams are. Not just the Blues 1, that might be the most predictable thing, but Winnipeg 2 and Nashville 3. And I know Nashville went to the cup final last year, but no Chicago, no Minnesota, no Dallas. Everybody's darling in the offseason. Uh, a little surprising, I would say, Joe. Do you think any of these teams on the outside are going to just shake things up soon and get to those top three central spots? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sold on Winnipeg. They were terrible last year. Maybe they're they're doing something this year, turning around, but... I mean, they have Patrick Laine, and all their credit can go to Blake Wheeler and Mark Scheifele, for real. They got 25 and 24 points. They are really stepping up for them, but I just don't. Like, Connor Hellebuck is their starting goalie. I just don't think well, that. that their their goaltending has always been an issue, but I will say this. Best thing Winnipeg has going for them, they are the biggest team probably in the league. They are a very big, very physical team, and they're much like St. Louis, tough to play against, tough to to gear up. This team knows how to play physical and knows how to to wear you down. But yeah, I mean, goaltending, I, I don't I don't see it lasting that long. They're eight one and one though in their last ten. It seems a little unsustainable to me, but I don't know. Chicago's got a lot of talent. Nashville, I think, it will will make a run at at that second spot as well. Um, I want Dallas to step up because I think that team has talent. But Ben Bishop, I mean, let's go. You're their guy. He goes to Tampa Bay in his homecoming game and gets lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, they're not paying yeah, him all that real. money to not, <laughs> not stop the puck. Yeah, real. I, I mean, it's going on all over the place. What's the, 
What's going on with Edmonton, man? Minus that's, 14. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing. I do want to say quickly on Nashville. So there's a lot of players that are that are underachieving. Maybe no none bigger than Ryan Johansson. I think he's got one goal now, two goals now in 20 in 18 games. So that's got to that's got to improve for the Predators. But Edmonton is yeah. the most yeah. I mean, Nashville's doing this without James Neal too. They lost him to uh to the Knights. They did. They did. Benino, who they they signed, I don't even know if he's played yet. I think he's still still uh, in the recovery process there. But Edmonton's been the most disappointing team in the NHL this season. I think we can safely say that. I'm surprised they haven't fired McClellan yet. Um, you, you, they, <laughs> second worst in the Western Conference. Thank God for the Arizona slash Phoenix Coyotes who beat so <laughs> bad. Otherwise, Edmonton would be the worst. And it's a lack of a lot of things. But goal scoring, 50 goals only for this team, for this specific team. That shouldn't happen, and that's got to be more on, I would think, the coaching staff. Because when you have a, a team perennially underachieved with talent like this, you've got to try to spice things up and, and create better opportunities for your players. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally have to agree with that. It's like they got the same team they had last year, and they're pretty much towards the bottom in every major category. McDavid is doing McDavid things. He's got 25 points, but behind him, there isn't much going on, you know? Like, uh, Leandro Settle, he was really good last year. He's not stepping up this year. People who were playing really well last year are kind of looking like it was uh, a one-time-only thing, at least to this point. Hopefully, they can turn it around a little bit. The team just doesn't look like they're meshing as well as they were. Like you said, McClellan might have to go. They need some spark to go in there and, and get that team working. Dreisaitl signs that big contract. Doesn't look so good this year. I don't know if there's a correlation there, but it's not just him. It's maybe the rest of the team, you know, getting that riding that hype train. They were everybody's darling cup pick, and this was the first year we said, "All right, Edmonton, legit contender. They're back. The Oilers are back. Hockey in Canada is a religion." And maybe they just, you know, drank some of their own Kool Aid, read their own press clippings, and uh, it's unfortunate. But the West is very atypical as well. You have the Kings at first in the Pacific, but they're holding on by a thread given how they've played in their last 10, 3, 6, and 1. The Knights are second in that division. I'm still, sorry, Joe, I'm still not sold on them. And even Calgary <laughs> just doesn't do it for me as well. Johnny Gaudreau has been amazing, third in the league in points. But when the going gets tough, this team can't stop anybody. So I still look for teams like Anaheim, San Jose even, and possibly Edmonton to make a run in this division. I'd say of those three teams in the Pacific, the Kings are really the only one that I trust. Yeah, I mean, I think by the next time uh, I talk to you on here, uh, the standings are going to look quite different. I, I would agree, but I think the Kings are still a top three team in that division, regardless of the moves that happen. Just given the fact that the Sharks have kind of petered out uh, Vancouver, uh, I mean, they're still in rebuild mode. It's nice to see. It's nice to see some of these teams in rebuild mode, like the Avalanche, for example, that are competitive again. You know, they're not contenders, but they've gotten to a point where they can play with these other teams. But I think that division is, it, it was the weakest division in hockey last year, and it got substantially weaker. So draw some conclusions there. Yeah, I mean, how about that? Avalanche trade away one of their best players ever that they've had, and they get better. Sometimes addition by subtraction is a thing. And you got to think that he was, I don't want to say a cancer in the locker room. I don't really know Duchesne, and he doesn't have that reputation. But he was dangling for everyone to see for about six months. Sometimes you just got to cut bait and move on. It's, it's a distraction to that locker room. Yeah, and they did. It's been working out for him, so at All least right. to this point. 
It has. Well, I'm excited with hockey season going in full bore, Joe. It's uh, it's been fun, and uh, as long as the Pens don't win again, I think we'll be okay. I mean, the way that Crosby's been playing this year so far, it's looking pretty good for them not winning. But I don't want to say that because who knows? They could turn that back. Now he'll turn it around. Um, the only uh, Penguins highlight I, I I feel comfortable talking about is I don't know if you saw this, but somebody cropped out. Um, Blake Shelton, people, sexiest man of the year, and put Phil Kessel in there. That was pretty funny. Yep, I saw that pick. <laughs> that was an all-time, uh, an all-time crop, one for the ages. Phil Kessel, <laughs> probably not going to win People Magazine sexiest man of the year anytime soon. Well, uh, Joe Crisali, Money Mitch Effect. Before I let you go, I do have to talk football with you briefly. Every time I think the NFL is is roping me back into another entertaining Sunday, we get a dud like we did yesterday we're recording this on a monday I, I can't remember a worse slate of afternoon games and just an un- incompetitive day in general I, we've got a major line being drawn in the sand between the good and bad teams it seems yeah i mean aside from like we talked about earlier the washington new orleans game going in overtime new orleans coming back taking the win all the other games that were on were borderline unwatchable Aside from maybe Detroit, Chicago, with that last-minute uh, field goal by Prater, but Baltimore, Green Bay, 23-0, God. Green Bay, Brett Hundley. Who wants to watch that? Nobody. Tampa Bay, Miami. Miami turns the ball over like five different times in their first like seven <laughs> possessions. Who wants to watch that? Mm-hmm. Jacksonville, Cleveland, give me a break. The game was 10-7 with like two minutes left. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, and the final was – well, the final ended up being you know a, a, that Jaguar return, but that was a disaster of a game as well. I, I yeah, just, and then I, the first of all, Tom Brady's target practice against the AFC West. I'm kind of over it. I'm kind of over him just <laughs> destroying that entire division with that Raiders game in Mexico City. Um, but then you have Peterman just playing probably the worst quarterbacking I've seen in a very long time against the Chargers. Who, by the way, look at the AFC, Joe, and tell me who the six teams going to be in the playoffs because I'm having a heck Man. of a time trying to figure that out. It could be a team with a losing record, I'll tell you. I'd say Chargers right now would be the team that I if I had to pick one. Because if you think about if you think about the Los Angeles Chargers, of all those teams, the Bills are still five and five, the Dolphins terrible, Jets terrible. I think the Chargers might be the best and might just have cost themselves the most amount of games. I don't know. I think they can get an eight and eight and make it. I don't know. Well, when an O and ten team is somehow not mathematically eliminated from a playoff position then there's a problem <laughs> yeah we're still alive that's that's a good call yeah, on your part. still we, alive maybe six and ten could make in theory the playoffs it's just and, and i want to give respect to teams like the patriots and the steelers and you know the eagles what they've been able to do the saints coming back in a very very competitive win against the redskins but yeah the bottom is just brutal it's brutal to watch it's tough to see and then you have teams like the chiefs that how can we ever take you serious if you put on a, a clunker like that against the Giants? I know, dude. The Giants, <laughs> I guess, have the AFC West number, beating Denver in Denver and now beating the Chiefs. But the Chiefs, they've kind of been on that landslide the last couple of weeks because Andy Reid refuses to do what he was doing the first couple of weeks, and that's give Kareem Hunt 40 touches a game. Yeah, we both have the same number of touchdowns he's had since October. So, fun fact there. Um, <laughs> but, it's, it's, but like you said, I mean, in the NFC, the script has completely flipped. 
if you look at the teams that are in the playoffs and the teams that are out of the playoffs, it's almost mm-hmm. the exact opposite of what it was last year, minus Seattle. I'm riding that Saints hype train. I like the Eagles, but I just like what the Saints are doing. I just There's something about a power run team, and then the Eagles are like that too. But I'm, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Let's go New Orleans. I think that's the team that I would put my, my best faith in, that it would translate all the way through the season. And it is a strange year when you see that a Case Keenum run team is 8-2. and two. He's played well. There's bad quarterbacking all around the league, but he's played well. Yeah, imagine if Denver actually got him for that first-round tender from the Rams, how, how their season would be different oh, if you played gosh. the way he's playing right now. If he was on that Broncos team and it wasn't, you know, the Brockett ship or, uh, <laughs> or whatever. I can't watch Brock anymore, man. I can't no. do it. Anymore. You lasted a lot longer than me. I'll tell you that. But the last thing, very last thing, we got Thanksgiving coming up. I know it's going to be, you know, a big day for a lot of people. But are these slates of games going to be good? I know Redskins-Giants at night doesn't really excite too many people, but Lions-Vikings early and then the Cowboys-Chargers could be something. Uh Lions usually play good games on Thanksgiving. That's probably the one I'm most excited to watch, if I could say excited as a real word in this scenario. But Giants-Washington, Giants are garbage. Washington, they blew a, a, a game this past week because of a, uh, a penalty on Kirk Cousins, you know, because <laughs> they gave up those 10 yards. They were in field goal range. They gave up those 10 yards. They lost. Chargers-Dallas, I don't know. Dallas isn't fun to watch without Zeke, and the Chargers are... You know, like you said, they have a chance. So maybe I don't know. I'm not really too excited. I probably the games will be on in the background, but I'm not going to be tuning into them the way that I have in years past. That's great. That's the theme of this year's Thanksgiving NFL slate: background noise. I can dig it. Exactly. I can dig it. Our joke side. This was fun. Uh, if I don't see you or hear from you, happy Thanksgiving. And we'll just have to see what the NFL and NHL seasons bring us. But uh, anything can happen. There's some good hockey coming up. So. We'll see. Rangers aren't dead yet. The window's not closed. It might be shutting, but it's not closed yet. Oh, man. It's tough. All right. Thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Happy Thanksgiving. That's it for today's edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again to all the guests, Brandon Marcus, Matt Wittenberg, and Joe Crisali. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Hope you all enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. We got some big football. The NFL game that we didn't get to, Falcons and Seahawks. Falcons won late last night in a thriller, 34-31. Kind of a crazy thriller, to be honest. They're right back in the mix. The Seahawks are going to be fighting for their playoff lives down the stretch. A lot of good games, a lot of good sports this week, this weekend. Enjoy the time with your family and uh, really do. Really do enjoy the holiday season. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. If you like the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Leave a rating, leave a review. Tell your friends about the show. There'll be uh, more episodes, to say the least. At least one a week. We try to do one to two each week. But thanks again for everybody out there listening. This was the Money Mitch Effect. I am Mitch Michaels. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next time.